Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Welcome to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? I'm one of your hosts. My name is Jack. And I'm Nat. And today, Nat is going to be presenting a Supreme Court case. Heck yeah. I'm super excited for today, actually. So before this, I was a bit nervous to do a Supreme Court case because I'm not really familiar with law terminology and jargon. But once I started doing my research, I realized Supreme Court cases are actually a lot more interesting than I initially thought. So today, I'm super excited to talk about it. I'm going to be talking about the history of the First Amendment and freedom of speech and its relation to the Espionage Act. So we're going to be talking about spies and treason and all that good stuff. So yeah, what's an espionage before you espionage start? Espionage is a fancy word for a spy. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about spies today. I'm so excited. Okay, so I'm going to just dive right into it. So there once was a man <laughs> named Jacob Abrams. Uh, so Jacob Abrams, he migrated from Russia to America in the year 1906. Uh, And so Jacob Abrams was a self-proclaimed revolutionist and an anarchist. And Abrams and four other immigrants wrote, printed, and distributed thousands of pamphlets in both English and Yiddish, actually. Um, And these pamphlets, so they called for a general strike, appealing to workers in ammunition factories and asking them to stop production of weapons that could later be used against Russian revolutionaries. So side note, this is in the year 1918. So this is during World War One. So basically they have these pamphlets and they're like, hey, don't, please stop making the weapons that are being used to fight in World War One against uh, the Russian army. And so these pamphlets also criticize President Woodrow Wilson for his role in World War One. And they were saying that he was a coward and also a hypocrite for sending troops to fight in Russia. Wait, can I ask? Yeah. What? This is like a little late, but what is Yiddish? (laughs) (laughs) So Yiddish is the language spoken by Jewish people. Okay. And so they were sending these pamphlets to other Jewish Russian immigrants within New York. I don't think I mentioned. So that's actually my next line in my notes. (laughs) So (laughs) August 23rd, 1918... So Abrams and these other Russian immigrants were arrested in New York City and they were charged with violating the Espionage Act and sentenced to 20 years in prison. So you might be wondering, (laughs) what is the Espionage Act? So the Espionage Act was enacted by Congress on June 15th in the year 1917. And so this is actually two months after the U.S. enters World War I. So just to refresh everyone's knowledge on World War I, 
So it lasted from 1914 to 1918, but the U.S. didn't enter the war until 1917. So they entered like very late. So between the years 1919 and 1920, there are actually 800 convictions made under the Espionage Act. So 800 people are basically arrested saying that they violated this Espionage Act within one year. So that's a lot of people. And so I'm going to read off basically what the Espionage Act says just so we are, we are all aware and we don't violate the Espionage Act in the future. <laughs> so the Espionage Act prohibits obtaining information, recording pictures, or copying descriptions of any information relating to the national defense with intent or reason to believe that the information may be used for the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation. And so additionally, the Espionage Act also makes it a crime to obstruct enlistment in the armed forces or like cause insubordination within military slash naval forces. And another like interesting fact, under President Wilson's administration, local mailmen were able to report any suspicious materials to the government or law enforcement. Yeah, that's not normally legal. You can't really like go through people's mails. Yeah. Does that still exist today? Or does it... I don't believe so. I mean, not during peacetime. You can't do that during peacetime. In my research, it was just under Wilson's administration, but I don't know if any other presidents enacted the same policy that's a good thing to look up so this is in 1917 right and so in 1918 congress passes the sedition act and so the sedition act basically is an amendment to the espionage act and it gives it even more powers so it's just like adding on to the espionage act so i'm also going to just quote the sedition act so it extends the espionage act to additionally make it a crime to willfully utter print write or publish any disloyal profane scurrilous which means like slander slander or abusive language about the form of the government of the united states or to willfully urge incite or advocate any curtailment of the production of the things necessary or essential to the prosecution of the war so in a nutshell it's just you can't say anything bad about the U.S. government and you can't hinder anything in regards to U.S. war efforts. And so before I get back into Abrams' violation of the Espionage Act, I want to kind of set the scene as to what America looked like during this time period, uh, during World War One, Because obviously this is the first world war, so very high tensions, a lot of stress, people are kind of pointing fingers at each other left and right, and... Because of this, there are several accounts of the su suppression of free speech by federal government, state government, local government. So Pittsburgh actually banned music by the German composer Ludwig van Beethoven during the war because we were fighting against Germany. So you couldn't listen to Beethoven. And the Los Angeles Board of Education prohibited all discussions of peace in schools. John White, who was a farmer from Ohio, was imprisoned for stating that soldiers in American camps were, quote, dying off like flies, unquote, and that the, quote, murder of innocent women and children by German soldiers 
was no worse than what the United States soldiers did in the Philippines, unquote. Yikes. Wow. Wait, freedom of speech is our First Amendment, right? right? Yeah. Okay, so they're going to jail on, like, infringement. So basically, okay. under the First Amendment, it says we Americans have freedom of speech, but there's a lot of, like, side notes and a lot of exceptions. Uh-huh. And so during wartime, we'll see later on, but during wartime, there's a lot more restric- restrictions on what we can and can't say. And so <laughs> additionally, a man in Minnesota was arrested under a state espionage law for criticizing women who were knitting socks for soldiers and basically he said no soldiers ever see these socks and then because of that he went to jail Uh, and then finally 27 farmers in South Dakota were convicted for sending a petition to the government objecting the military draft and calling the war a capitalist war. So as you can see, like people are getting in prison left and right for just for the things they're saying. And so it's very high tension and people are very nervous. Yeah, and quick to throw people in jail. Yeah, and there's also like the like the postal system is like permission to spy on these people too so yeah yeah you cannot get away with that during peacetime but war and this is you also have to remember this is the first world war so i think people were freaking out a lot more than usual and everyone was there's a lot of fear across the country yeah you like don't know what's gonna happen either yeah and additionally you know in the early 20th century there's a lot of immigration and so I guess there's also a lot of pointing fingers at immigrants from other countries as we'll see Mm -hmm. and as we do see throughout history and And just to clarify because I'm not super familiar but we were we were on the winning side of world war one yeah and world war two yeah okay yeah see like that's the thing is we're in a developing nation at that time so to be, if we had been on the losing side, I think America would not be the country it is today. Yeah, actually, I, so there's actually a book written about this. It's called The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick, and it's all about what happens if we lost World War II and Germany and Japan had won. So I, I, I just finished it reading it, reading it a couple weeks ago. Okay. You should definitely check it out. I think Amazon has a whole show on it now, so. Okay. Yeah, I'll look it up. Give it, give it a read and let me know what you think. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. So before I go into the details of Jacob Abrams, I have to <laughs> give you even more background on the First Amendment freedom of speech. So we have one of the most influential court, Supreme Court cases of all times during the year 1918. So right before Abrams' trial goes to the Supreme Court, right? So this case is called Schenck versus the United States. I'm not sure if you've heard of it before. Never. I think we learned about it in like AP US government politics. But yeah, so Schenck versus the United States. So Charles T. Schenck was the general, general secretary of the US Socialist Party. And so this party opposed the implementation of a military draft for World War One, And so they just printed and distributed 15,000 leaflets that encouraged men who were drafted to resist their military service. And so Shank is charged with violating the Espionage Act because he attempted to obstruct recruitment and cause insubordination in the military. So it's like a direct violation of the act, right? And so his court, his case is taken to the Supreme Court, and in the Supreme Court, it is upholded through a unanimous vote. So also, side note, we're going to learn some law terminology today because I was super confused about this at first. So uphold basically means the Supreme Court agrees with whatever the court below it ruled. So they're like, yeah, they were right. So like in this case, Shank goes to jail. And then if they overturn it, 
then that means they disagree with the ruling and they're like, nah, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify. So yeah, they, it's a unanimous vote too. So all the justices were like, no, get him out of here. <laughs> uh, so basically the Supreme Court argues that Shank's actions presented enough danger that they had the right to, to prevent it. And this basically sets the precedent that during wartime, speech that was tolerable during peacetime can be punishable by law. So they're like, wartime is special and we have more powers than we would when we're not at war. Yeah. And so the opinion, so after every like Supreme Court ruling, one of the justices has to write an opinion. Normally there are two, like if the people who voted like, yes, I agree. And people who voted, no, I disagree. One from each side will write kind of the summary of what everyone was thinking at the time. So the opinion is written by Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. So he was actually a Civil War veteran, and he had joined the Union Army in support of the abolition movement. So that was the North, and he was like, I'm against slavery, so I'm going to fight in the Civil War. So that's him. Pretty cool dude. Uh, so the reason this case is so influential is because it created the clear and present danger criteria for the free speech. So I don't know if you've heard of that before like basically kind of like oh you can't shout fire in like a movie theater basically this test is used to determine whether words are used in order to create a clear and present danger that will bring about substantive evils that congress has a right to prevent okay so justice holmes argues that even though these pamphlets like practically didn't have any effect in changing the minds of the readers like he w- he said that it was about the intent of the crime shank's intent was to cause disruption and insubordination do you know what the pamphlets were saying like yeah they were basically like they were like hey if you got drafted into the military just don't go like don't show up and they're like hey we don't like that we are required to like we don't like this military draft so let's all fight against it and let's not follow the rules um that's basically what they were arguing so it was all about resisting military service and so yeah so justice holmes is like success alone doesn't warrant making the act a crime so it's not about the success of it it's about the intent so that's important to keep in mind Mm -hmm. then this a couple months after this case right there's another case of some guy violating the espionage act because like left and right people are getting convicted under the espionage act so a couple months later we have another supreme court ruling and it's again it's unanimous upholding the conviction and then it's again written by Justice Holmes. So this case uh, is called Debs versus the United States. So Eugene V. Debs is a well-known public figure. He actually ran for president in 1912 and he received almost a million votes. And so on June 16th, 1918, Debs gives a speech to 1,200 people outside a prison in Canton, Ohio. So he was actually visiting three prisoners who were socialists convicted under the Sedition Act. So in his speech, he praises these socialist prisoners that he was visiting, and he condemns World War I. He was like, hey, I don't like it. And he technically doesn't advocate for any illegal activities. However, he does mention in his speech that he was being very careful in his word choice. Mm-hmm. So he's basically like, hey, don't do anything bad, but also, like, I gotta be careful. So it's kind of like read between the lines, right? And so he's arrested for this speech, And he's convicted under the Sedition Act for obstructing military recruitment and enlistment. And he's sentenced to 10 years in prison. Like I said earlier, the Supreme Court voted unanimously to uphold his conviction. So they're like, yeah, send him to jail. And so Justice Holmes writes the opinion once again. And Holmes says, Deb's warning 
in his speech meant that the audience was free to interpret an underlying message. Actually, Justice Holmes would also later say that although he never questioned the correctness of his decision, he was unhappy that the federal government had chosen to prosecute Debs uh, and send him to prison, and also that Holmes was the one chosen to write the opinion. So he was kind of like, yeah, like, I think he violated this act, but maybe 10 years is a bit much. So Justice Holmes is not happy that he has to write this opinion for the case. But don't feel too sad for Debs because in 1920, he actually runs for president while he's in prison. And again, he receives almost a million votes. And his sentence is later commuted by President Warren G. Harding in 1921. So then he's set free. Wait, are you allowed to run for president while you're in prison? That's what I was wondering. I mean, I I would have thought no, but... Because <laughs> you're not allowed... Aren't you not allowed to vote yeah. when you're incarcerated? But yeah, that might be a more recent law. I don't know, like, when that was decided. We should okay. look that up. Yeah, I don't think... I'm surprised he got a million votes, but... But yeah... <laughs> Okay, so now we can finally jump back to Abrams versus the United States. So all this, so Shank versus the United States and Debs versus the United States, this is all roughly eight months before Abrams versus the United States, his court case is sent to the Supreme Court. So this is like right on top of each other, right? And so it reaches the Supreme Court in 1919. And basically the justices in this case, they apply the clear and present danger test that was created only eight months ago, like I said, in Shank versus the United States. And so we have the majority of justices uphold his conviction. So they agree like, hey, you should go to prison for 20 years because we don't like your pamphlets. And so Justice John H. Clark says the purpose of the pamphlets were to excite riots and sedition as well as disaffection with the war and a general strike would have hindered u.s war efforts so they're like yeah even if your pamphlets like didn't reach a lot of people it doesn't matter you guys weren't like trying to kind of sabotage us so Mm -hmm. you're going to jail yeah it's kind of funny because when you say pamphlets it sounds like like, like hey we didn't like your pamphlet so yeah it's like um you use comic sans in your brochure so. no yeah. i don't really like this color scheme you went with pamphlets, um, i know it's like stuff you see in like i don't know hotel lobbies but i mean it makes sense though right because if you like modern day if you're sending out slander yeah. online that's similar to pamphlets back mm-hmm. then and you can be it's the facebook be post. jailed for that but yeah there are limitations <laughs> on what time. you can say too exactly online. exactly yeah so basically the supreme court was like no we don't like this however there are two justices that don't agree with this um and say so they dissent with the majority opinion and so surprise surprise one of these guys is justice holmes from earlier, and then the also, the other guy, or sorry, the other justice is Justice Louis Brandeis. <laughs> so Louis Brandeis, um, and he's quite famous. But yeah, so Holmes, who had he was the one who basically created the whole criteria for this uh, clear and present danger test. So before this, he, he had written all those opinions on all these other people publishing pamphlets, right? And he was like, yeah, they should go to jail. But then in this case, he was like, um maybe not he still basically in his opinion or sorry in his dissent he writes that he still agree he still agrees that the government's power to suppress speech was greater in times of war so he's like yeah wartime is crazy but he says nobody can suppose that the publishing of a silly leaflet by an unknown man would present any immediate danger that would lead to the hindering of the government 
So basically he's like, okay, yeah, like what they said is bad, but also I think it's kind of dramatic that you're saying these pamphlets are gonna lead to the collapse of the war and like, yeah, you know, so he's like, everyone chill. Yeah. Additionally, <laughs> he writes that sentences of 20 years had been imposed for the publishing of leaflets that the defendants had as much right to publish as the government had to publish the constitution. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's like tea, the tea today. Right? I was like, whoa. And like, it's really cool. You could read all the court transcripts and everything. Right. And like respect to the constitution, but truly that's kind of what happened is a few guys wrote thing and then they were like yeah. it is the law like at one point we were the rebels and so you yeah know? yeah so he's like who, who are we to say who has the right to publish what uh th- so this case abrams versus the united states was super influential because basically justice holmes dissent changed the course of the first amendment for the remainder of the 20th century so reminder in shank versus the united states the clear and present danger test had been applied with minimal scrutiny in regards to whether or not the pamphlets were, were likely to have substantive impact on those who read them. So they were really like, they were pretty much like, we just don't like what you're saying. I don't care how severe like your actions were, just don't say what you're saying. <laughs> but in Abrams versus the United States, Holmes more carefully scrutinized other competing factors in determining the outcome of this test. So he was like, we need to look at the whole picture and maybe chill out. Up until today, Constitution scholars have been kind of curious as to why Justice Holmes like so quickly changed his mind between the first two cases. And in this case, they're like, he was the one who made the test and now he's kind of like smack talking it. And so they're like, why did he do this? Basically, there's a lot of different theories, but... He, a lot of people think he was influenced by others. He had met with other like Harvard law professors and people who were very influential in the legal world. And they were kind of like, hey, like we saw the rulings of the first two court cases and maybe we don't agree with you. Maybe we think you're kind of like abusing the power of it. And they think that because he had met with these other people, maybe that's why he was more lenient in Abrams versus the United States. However, there are only two justices who dissented. So basically, Abrams' conviction is still upheld and him and four others, the four other Russian immigrants, are sent to prison for 20 years. But two years into their prison time, the defendants are deported to Russia. The U.S. is like, okay, bye. Um, And so once they get to Russia, they're basically set free. And again... I, it was really hard to find a lot of information on Jacob Abrams, and it was also hard to find a list of the names of the other Russian immigrants. I kept getting different names. According to some sites, uh, Abrams actually moves to Mexico later in his life, and he spends the rest of his life in Mexico, and he dies there. And so, basically, that kind of sums up the history of the Espionage Act and why it was created and then also kind of the controversies it had caused early on in its creation. But the Espionage Act and the Sedition Act still exist today. And so there actually have been several recent convictions within the past years, both under the Obama administration and the Trump administration. So even though this act has been around for a long time and it was, you know, it was originally created because of World War I, it still exists today. And so I wanted to talk really briefly about one of the most more recent cases of uh, violating the Espionage Act. So this man is basically a household name. So Edward Snowden was a former CIA analyst who had access to information about classified NSA surveillance programs. 
And so basically these programs pertain to the government's access to phone and internet records under a process that was allowed by the Patriot Act. And for those of you who don't know, the Patriot Act was enacted um, shortly after 9-11. I'm glad. Winona, you should explain that more because I thought that was just Hassan Minaj's new show on Netflix, The Patriot Act. Oh, that's right. Is that the title of his show? Yeah, that's what it's called. Oh my gosh. What's that about? Yeah, so basically the Patriot Act, so it was enacted under the Bush administration, uh, George W. Bush, and it basically extended the government's powers to go into, look into people's private information as long as it pertained to protecting uh, national security yeah okay so because the threat of terrorism seemed to be a greater risk they were like we need to we need more power to be able to prevent future terror i've had this debate with so many people in computer science especially as like technology progresses that's yeah. a huge discussion is like data privacy yeah. of consumers privacy and... yeah i mean you hear about it in the news a lot there are Court cases today still, I mean, social media companies and everything. So quick side note. So the goal of this podcast, we're trying to remain as apolitical and as unbiased as possible. Jack and I kind of want to be like the Switzerland. (laughs) We want to remain neutral in all of these, I guess, current political arguments because we are here to just talk about influential historical we're here to present both yeah we're here to present both sides we're here to talk about history so regardless of what your opinion is on edward snowden i just wanted to bring him up because i think it's really important when we look at history so we're talking about the creation of the espionage act but it's i think it's really important to see the lasting effects that (laughs) these acts and these supreme court cases have on our country and how we can relate what we learn in history to the present time. So yeah, so we're talking about, you know, World War One Espionage Act, but th- there are still convictions being held today. Yeah, so I just wanted, that's why I bring it up, just to make the connection between the past and the present. So <laughs> you can mm-hmm. form your own opinions on uh, his actions and everything. And yeah, also if you didn't know, so today he's still living in exile in Russia, but he still faces charges in the US. Yeah, do you wanna give a brief overview of what he did for like people? Yeah, basically he leaked classified documents from the National Security Agency that kind of gave an overview of these surveillance programs that were extremely classified. Yeah, he believed that the government was infringing infringing on people's privacy. Um, you can come to whatever conclusion you would like, but yeah, basically he leaked these documents because the government had more access to phone and internet records than they did previously before the Patriot Act and maybe not as many Americans knew about this. So that's why he chose to leak those documents. There's a lot of movies mm-hmm. about him. I think there's one, Joseph Gordon-Levitt played him, I believe. Perhaps. I, I, <laughs> did not, I did not watch the movie, but there's a ton of information about him there. And I also encourage listeners to research other convictions, other recent convictions made under the Espionage Act. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot. I think it's really interesting to look at. Yeah, also look into like data privacy. Yeah. Read more about data privacy yeah. and form your own opinion on that. Data privacy really freaks me out it gives me the heebie-jeebies like I swear I really need to do better at looking through actual terms and conditions of websites instead of just like automatically clicking stuff and right now so if in case you're listening to our podcast we also record a video version and upload it to YouTube right now we're recording on Zoom and there's also been (laughs) like stuff coming out about Zoom and privacy rights and so it really yeah like during now during quarantine our lives are on the internet and on social media now more than ever so 
I think it's really important to look at. Right. And I think um, just because I'm in the tech field. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you're not, like, aware, like, social media gathers so much of your data, yeah. whether or not you knew that or not. So I, I think it's interesting because the government does gather data. Uh, I don't want to get, like, <laughs> share my opinion no. too much. But I, the government collects our data, but also so does social media. Yeah. So if you're uncomfortable with the amount of data the government has on you, just know that you, <laughs> like, when you sign up for TikTok and you sign yeah. up for Instagram, like, they're allowed to collect data on you, too. And yeah. Facebook has more data on me than I'd yeah. like to admit. You do a quick Google search of yourself. It's crazy. You could find so much yeah information be really careful of your digital footprint right it's really hard to avoid too because especially with internet of things emerging um things just get more and more connected there's there's theories with like alexa overhearing you oh yeah yeah those are those are scary i have an alexa (laughs) i love my alexa if alexa's listening to me sorry like i still like her i still love we love bezos we are a friend not a foe (laughs) yeah so that's basically a brief history of freedom of speech and its relation to the Espionage Act. Super interesting. I think it's really interesting to look at how we dealt with the situation back then. And suppression of speech during wartime, it's not just something that happened during World War One. It's something that happens basically during every conflict in any country. But yeah, I think it's also really interesting to look at how speech was suppressed during other wars in our U.S. history. So I would definitely look into that as well. What do you guys think? You guys should uh, email us and tell us your thoughts on, Please. you know, should freedom <laughs> of speech be limited in times of war? What do you think about that? I'd love to hear. Actually, yeah. I genuinely would love to hear <laughs> I think it's a really, I think it's a really complex and it's a really interesting argument. Um, especially, I, I don't know, World War One. I, I really can't imagine what it must have been like to live during that period. Like the first World War, it must have been really, really scary. Yeah, I would love to hear what everyone thinks. Please send us an email at how did we not know that at gmail.com. <laughs> we are anxiously awaiting. <laughs> we love to hear. Feedback, we actually so. will read through them if anyone emails us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be really interesting. Yeah. Send us emails so we can comment on it and yeah, (laughs) give us stuff to do. (laughs) Great. Well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That? If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so, too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.